Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and I'm very glad you all are here. Extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. In the spirit of that heritage, I say, let us greet the divine in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship is a reading from Lao Tse. If there is to be peace in the world, there must be peace in the nations. If there is to be peace in the nations, there must be peace in the cities. If there is to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbors. If there is to be peace between neighbors, there must be peace in the home. If there is to be peace in the home, there must be peace in your heart. I'm so glad to be back with you all. I had to miss a lot more Sundays than I thought I would have to when uh, the surgeon says, you could be back on your feet in 10 days or so, or worst case scenario, six weeks. You just hear the worst case scenario like, wah, 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 wah. (laughs) We gather in this room with our roots and our practices in every major world religion and in no religion at all. In agnosticism, secular humanism, in uh, neo-paganism, many things I'm probably not even naming. Sometimes we take our meditation practices from one and a prayer practice from another. This is a large tent, Unitarian Universalism, and it has room for all of us. Has room for all of us. And so, some people ask... What holds you together if there's that much variety in the ways people think about things? Well, one of the things that holds us together are principles. Another thing that holds this congregation together is its mission statement. We wrote it ourselves and we wrote it on the wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. This is the time in our service when we Breathe deeply together for prayer and meditation, where we speak to God as we understand God and listen, where we listen to the inner wisdom that is within us, or where we just pay attention to our breath as it moves in and out of our bodies. It is in this manner that all the religions of the world say we can come to sit underneath the great one flowering tree that is at the center of the circle of everything. Let us enter into the wise silence together. For the auction last spring, one of the items I offered was that the highest bidder could 
um, choose three Broadway songs out of which I would make a sermon and that we would sing in the service. The winner invited me to think about three songs from South Pacific. Some enchanted evening, happy talk, and you've got to be carefully taught. I wanted to talk about welcome here on the first Sunday in April, our month of spring into action, whose theme is welcome. And I thought these were three perfect songs to talk about welcome because they all talk about some form of understanding of us. Some enchanted evening is like, I saw you across the room and I knew instantly that we were an us. And happy talk is what we like to do when we're with us. We want people that we can talk happy talk with and we have a dream that we'll be surrounded by people that we can fiesta with, that we can have party with, that we can really just get together and relax and be happy. And you've got to be carefully taught challenges us to broaden our sense of who is us. And the dream and happy talk in this instance, I think, is a dream of the widest circle of the sacred hoop where we get to see more and more of us as us. The soundtrack of this show struck the winner deeply into his heart as a little boy. This week, I watched the movie South Pacific again. I had only seen it when I was a very little girl. I didn't remember any of it. The show came out in 1949. And I thought, I wouldn't find much to relate to in it because it was 70 years ago. And But, oh, I have to confess, I cried. When Nurse Forbush is looking out over the ocean to where her French lover is in danger, and she says, live, live, woo. Even though I was mad at her, she had loved him and she was going to marry him. And then she found out that he had two children by his late wife, who was a Polynesian woman. Um, I could understand her running away because you're going to marry a guy. And then suddenly he goes, oh, and guess what? You're not just going to be a wife. You're going to be a mom too. And here are your children. Uh, but that's not why she ran away. She ran away because he had been married to a, a native woman of the island. Her mother was from Little Rock, very prejudiced woman. She didn't even want her to be uh, in love with a Frenchman because their backgrounds were so different. Man, she knew her mother would be mad about that other stuff. The show 70 years ago was a big moment in the ongoing evolution of white people's conversation about racism. It was a romantic story. It wormed its way into your heart, whatever your prejudice is, and you were already wide open by the time they hit you with 
yeah, but what about this? It's the way to do it. It was a liberal story for its time. It's a product of its time. It's told from the perspective of the dominant culture, the people who made the movie, of course. It's the story of Navy troops encountering Polynesian culture during World War III. And lots of white people got their first invitation to awareness through this movie, this, through the show. And I say white people got their invitation to awareness because people of color um, have been aware for generations. It's never a mystery to those among us who are people of color what was going on for generations and every day. But if you have a certain color skin in our culture, our dominant culture is white European culture. Um, and lots of people work really hard to keep it that way. And other people prefer not to think about it, but in not thinking about it, we help it stay that way. The movie um, was unusual for its time in that it paid actual black and brown actors to play the parts of the black and brown people. So they had used to pretty much hire white actors and put brown paint on their faces. So this was a, an improvement. The Navy helped with production of the movie. The Navy was such an interesting element in this movie because the armed forces had just been integrated and the armed forces were a leader in American thinking about who is us. Because suddenly on your team were people that lots of politicians and other folks were yelling about, hey, we can't be on a team with people who are so different from us, whichever us you were part of. But as it turned out, the armed forces said, oh, yes, we will be a team. We can be a team. We know how to build a team and we can build a team and we can have a movie where there's at least one black Navy man in the, in the frame at almost all times. Now, one of the interesting things about this is World War II was a time when people who had grown up in small towns all across America before the interstate highway system was built, before people traveled a lot, they were shipped out to faraway places with people from not their state. So folks from Mississippi and California got to know each other. Folks from Little Rock, Arkansas, like Miss Forbush, got to know people from France who lived in the Polynesian Islands. World War II was a giant invitation to broaden our sense of us. Some people took up that invitation. They were uh, welcomed more or less by allied countries. They became interested in the cultures of our allies. Other people just stayed with their own kind were not open to that invitation to broaden their sense of us. But lots of people had a broadening experience in that war. So the movie is romantic and sad and troubling. 
So a plucky nurse from Little Rock, Arkansas, falls in love with a, a Frenchman, a French widower. And uh, her mother says they're too different. She pushes back on this until she finds out he has been married before to a, to a woman of the island and has two children by her. On a parallel love story, the strapping and brave Lieutenant Joe Cable falls in love with a young island girl. Very, very young island girl. Made me a little worried. Um, her mother wanted them to get married. He said, I can't marry her. You know why. But then they have this moment of awareness. Joe Cable and Nurse Forbush, where they sing a song, which we will now hear, called You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late. Nineteen forty nine when the show came out. Nineteen fifty four, Brown versus the Board of Education was decided. The schools began to be desegregated. It was a big change to the way of things. Eight years after this came out, Richard and Mildred Loving got married. But it wasn't for another seventeen years till nineteen sixty seven that interracial marriage became legal in all states. Things have to change in our country, apparently, from the top down when it comes to welcome. If you leave it to the states, you're going to have some places where if you left it to the states, you'd have some places where interracial marriage would still be illegal. Can I get an amen? That Supreme Court decision in 1967 was another enormous change to the way of things. Attitudes change much more slowly. The structures of the dominance of Western European culture are vigorously maintained by some people and just allowed to float on by the rest of uh, the white people and vigorously fought by some of us because we know that we need all of us in order to get through this and that all of our souls are damaged by 
injustice. But what do you do when it's so much, and I'm preaching this sermon as someone who does not have an answer. I am bad at this. Um, what do you do when your sense of us is narrow and you have accepted some invitations to broaden it, but you're blind to your blind spots. You don't know how much you're leaving undone. This week was a hard one for Unitarian Universalism. Most Unitarian Universalists, um, most white Unitarian Universalists are not in that phase that there's one congressman who gets on TV and says, you know, Western civilization, European Western civilization is the only one that's contributed to our world in any meaningful way, blah, blah, blah. Apparently, he doesn't ever use um, mathematics or the number zero or astronomy or medicine. But apart from those things, uh, Western European culture has contributed some stuff. Yeah, I laugh too. Um, most white Unitarian Universalists are in this phase of awareness where we go, well, your color just doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference to me. I hope we're not still in the phase where we go, I don't even see color. <laughs> like Stephen Colbert. People tell me I'm white. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't see it. In fact, um, skin color is one important element in the identity of a person. One important element. People are complicated and we have many elements that are important to our identity. But that's one. And so it makes a difference. And so when you meet a person of color, you know that um, it is odds are good that their lived experience as a person of color in the United States is different from a white person's lived experience in the United States. There are obstacles. Um, those among us who are people of color are playing this game at a higher degree of difficulty than those among us who have white skin. Doesn't mean a person of color can't win big. Um, doesn't mean a white person can't lose big. But you're just playing the game at different levels of difficulty. And so it is important to see color and to understand, and to know that color is one element, and culture is another element, sexuality is another element, education is another element, and we, as Unitarian Universalists, white and of color, um, we are called upon to broaden our sense of us. This is a spiritual path. This is our welcome. As, as we see people as individuals and honor differences, and crave differences. To know that when a person comes from a different point of view, it's very dramatic. <laughs> when a person comes from a different point of view, it is a pain. And it is uncomfortable. And it is enriching. And necessary. Because the more points of view you have, the better decisions you make. See what I'm saying? So back to the difficult week in Unitarian Universalism. 
we have regions of our, our country is organized into regions. And we have regional leaders that are hired by the Unitarian Universalist Association, henceforth known as UUA. So the UUA hires regional leaders. And right now, they're all white people. Even though our denomination is committed to anti-racism. What is wrong here? One thing is wrong is that the person who does the hiring is a white guy. And so he is blind to his own blind spots. The UUA does two days of training. Two days of anti-racist training when you come on board. That is not enough to be aware of all your blind spots. And so what happened this week was um, a regional lead position was open. And there were two candidates, finalists. One was a woman of color and a Latina woman, and one was a white man. And the Latina woman was told by the hirer, you have all the qualifications for this job. I just think this other guy is going to be a better fit. A better fit. All right. Let's dig down deeper into a better fit. What does that mean? Was it, number one, just a lily-livered way of not wanting to tell her why he didn't want to give her the job with actual reasons? Or was it, in fact, that he just had a kind of a feeling that she would be less of a good fit for the team? And then we have to ask, why would the white guy be a better fit for a team of all white people? And is a good fit what you really want? You know what I mean? A good fit is great for clothes and shoes. But it's not necessarily great for a group of people who are making policy decisions and spending the money of an entire denomination on the direction the denomination is going to go. So this has been an enormous cauldron of... You know, Unitarian Universalists, we are addicted to outrage. (laughs) And so the possibility of a measured conversation about this flew out the window like the second day, plus all the conversation was on Facebook. Then our president, a Latino man from... San Antonio, Peter Morales, the president of the nomination, wrote a hasty, tired, ill-considered note to the board, which became public, where he said, we've had some people being hysterical about this. I heard that groan. When people are upset, One word you never want to use is hysterical. Ever. So things got exponentially worse. And now he has resigned. He resigned. Our president resigned. A Latino man resigned because the white guy who does the hiring didn't hire the Latina woman. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't agree. I don't accept his resignation. I wrote him that. 
I said, Peter, I don't accept your resignation. I wish I had standing to make that stick. He wrote back, thank you. I'm fine. So this is the systemic part. The systemic part of maintaining white dominant culture is that many of us have not accepted the invitations that pour in to broaden our sense of us. The invitation, one of which was the great show, South Pacific. We all have unconscious biases. The problem with them is that they are unconscious. And if we want to save our world or make it a better place, as spirited, spiritual people, what we need to do is just look at ourselves. And what we need to do is just understand that, I know it makes me feel like that too, is understand that the work is ongoing and the struggle is ongoing and it's okay to be in the place where you are. But where we're trying to get to is a place where the people in this movie were moving toward, where they say, I feel like us, not just with you, my fell in love with one enchanted evening, not just with people that I, people that I romanticize, like this movie romanticizes the non-white island folks. One of the ways of um, being a dominant culture is that we sometimes don't hate other cultures, but there are phases we go through where we, we hate our own culture and we go, oh, that other culture is so much better than ours, so much kinder, so much richer, so much deeper. That ain't right either. Or a place where we go, oh, those, those lovely people are, um, I, I hear this a lot in the, mm, liberal circles, because that's where I travel. They go, oh, Buddhists, I love Buddhists. They're just so gentle, and they're so uh, intuitive and grounded, and, uh, and they have this whole sort of gauzy, romanticized view, and I'm like, okay, uh, you remember Vietnam? There are right, a right lot of Buddhists in that war. You know the, the Sri Lankan Tamil fights the, there are a lot of Buddhists who are, you know, not that peaceful. And to look at any group of people, and I know feminists who are real gauzy about women, and they go, boy, if women were just in charge, if we just put the grandmothers in charge, we wouldn't have war anymore. I'm thinking, can you name me five grandmothers, just five of your experience? who could live in a house together, (laughs) share a kitchen, and there wouldn't be any war? (laughs) We just have to, we have to rub away the Vaseline. We have to rub away that gauze over the camera. People are people. You know, I I don't want to go on and on, but that Eat, Pray, Love book made me mad. I, 
I mean, I loved that book in a way, in a way, but she was in, this white woman goes to Bali to find herself and, you know, and she's gauzy about the Balinese people. She's like, oh, these people are so wise. And she has this woman who's like her, like Bagger Vance, you know, who's like her, her dark ghost of magic of, you know, this magical wise, um, you know, and then she gets all freaked out when the woman goes, um, I need to borrow some money so I can buy a house. Do you have money I could have? And she's, she's crazed because the woman is suddenly not, suddenly got real. She's disappointed in her. She's no longer this magical, uh, gauzy, poverty-wise bodhisattva figure. She wants a house for her children, like you do. Us means you are my neighbor. Rabbi Jesus talked about this so many years ago. Let's broaden our sense of who is our neighbor. Who is our brother and sister? Make it as broad as you can. The sacred hoop makes it as broad as it can be, wide as starlight and daylight. Can we do the same? Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace and take care. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.